Welcome to God's Love Language, a podcast designed for Christian discipleship with emphasis on developing our relationship and fellowship with God. Now, here is our host, Joe Enloe. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Appreciate that. And welcome back to God's Love Language with Joe Enloe. I am your host, Joe Enloe, and this episode is the last segment covering the third core relationship God created, and that was God and the parent. And good news, it also marks the end of our second season and the beginning of our third season here on God's Love Language. woo We started this podcast in August of 2000 in the middle of a pandemic. But here we are today, still going strong three years later. Today we'll be discussing some basic developmental considerations, especially involving the developing brain relationships and fellowship intimacy that parents need to be aware of when raising children. We will borrow much of the standard developmental facts from David G. Myers's psychology textbook, the 2020 edition, used by many colleges. I also used an earlier version when I taught Psych 101 at Park University. I will be supplying the biblical interpretations and considerations along with that. Have you ever wished that you were a psychologist so that you could understand your children better? Well, developmental psychology examines our physical, cognitive, and social development across the lifespan with a focus on three major issues. Number one, nature and nurture. How does our genetic inheritance, our nature, interact with our experiences, our nurture, to influence our development? Number two, Continuity and stages. What parts of development are gradual and continuous, like riding an escalator? And what parts change abruptly in separate stages, like climbing rungs on a ladder? Number three, they investigate stability and change. Which of our traits persist through life, and how do we change as we age? You know, I spoke on the nature of uh, I spoke on the topics of nature versus nurture uh, in the debate about those two in the earlier episodes. And what we discovered was that it is important, uh, the importance of our responses to our environment, that the processing and interpreting the experiences we have, that really determined how we turned out. Even when you have inherited predispositions to certain physical or mental issues, in comparison to the amount of literature out there on this topic, though, our coverage will be brief with the hopes that you will take the time to investigate further. Do some research on your own, just like we have asked you to do. All right, the first area, the first stage, birth to two years. Our first months of life are dedicated to getting to know our mother, her smell, taste, and feel, and the look of her face. We gradually experience her ability to attune to us and soothe our distress as her presence becomes synonymous with safety. Our mothers and fathers shape our brains from the inside out in a dance of interacting instincts. For human babies, survival doesn't depend on how fast they can run or whether they can climb a tree to get away from danger or if they can tell the difference between edible and poisonous mushrooms like animals. Rather, they survive based on the abilities of their caretakers to detect the needs and intentions of those around them. Actually, this dance starts while the baby is in the womb. Your babies can hear and feel some of the things that 
their mothers see, are, hear, and feel. Important to understand here is successful rearing of a child begins when the parents can adapt to the life-changing event known as childbirth. It can be one of the most stressful life events you will ever face, but it can also be one of the most rewarding. Now, parents must be willing and capable of adapting to the new environment that is created when the baby is added to the family. I guess another way of saying is that it helps if the baby is wanted and planned. But from now on, life will never be the same once a baby comes. If done according to God's plan, Christianity offers the best coping mechanisms and most stable environments in which to raise a baby. Why? Because they are based on the truth of the one who created us and designed the marriage and family institution. We should always have the highest form of love and be walking in faith, hope, mercy, and grace because you will need it. When we are successful in our environments, our babies will have food, shelter, protection, and a community of other living church members. The church community you belong to will be operating, hopefully, along the same general principles that you do, so consistency will be present in your child's life. Remember, your most important discipleship attempts will be your children. You look at the qualifications of deacons and elders in First Timothy and in Titus, they look at how you have managed your households and how your children have turned out. Yes, you know, we know everyone makes his or her own choices in the end, and they are held responsible for them. But I am pointing out how important raising children is in the eyes of Jesus. We must raise our children to be more devout than we are. They must be raised to hear God's voice, to do His will and glorify His name. That entails a godly worldview on behalf of the parent and then passing that worldview on to the child. Let the goodness, the mercy, and the grace of God always be on your lips so that it becomes second nature to you and the children. The children will see it. I had my first child at the age of 17, and I had three by the time I was barely 20. I did not have the greatest example of Christian parents, and I was an adolescent in development myself when I married and became a father. God's design is totally different than the way I did it. I had no knowledge of developmental stages, and consequently, I made many mistakes. In my experiences as a marriage and family therapist and a school psychologist, I've, had, I've seen relationships and marriages destroyed with the addition of a baby. Many young and unprepared men can't or don't want to handle the additional stress and responsibility. This seems increasingly true if the baby is born with a disability. Sometimes it is the mother that will leave the child and the marriage, but it is not as prevalent as the male leaving. The point is, it is difficult, and you must be unselfish to be successful. Infants totally depend on their parents to meet all their needs, and except for the joy that the good moments offer, raising an infant is not about meeting your desires. Your Christian training, as we described in the episodes of the one-on-one relationship with God and with a spouse, will have prepared you for this if you do it correctly. Now is the time to put all that training and learning into practice when you have a child. 
Try to provide a stimulating environment for your infants so that their brains have the best chance to develop to their maximum capacity. This includes speaking to them in a loving voice and with the patience of Job. Their crying is the way they communicate a need. No, they are not crying on purpose or to make you mad. I've been involved in cases and have seen some in the news where the father and the mother beat the child to make them be quiet, sometimes beat them to death. Some of these parents thought the baby was crying just to make the parent angry. Can you imagine? Of course, this is ridiculous. Infants are incapable of cognitively planning, manipulation, or any other selfish behavior. They learn that crying works to get their needs met. Each time we respond to their calls or cries, it teaches them that it works. Their cries may also be out of pain they're feeling. So crying is a learned coping mechanism. I cry, someone comes to my attention. Someone comes to my aid. Have you heard of the orphanages in the Romanian studies in the 1980s? They were not, there were not enough workers to attend to all the cries of the babies, so eventually the babies stopped crying because nobody came. They learned it did no good to cry, and this skewed their social and mental development later on in life. As infant Christians, God gives us milk to satisfy our hunger, and he will often answer the most mundane prayers because he is trying to show you how much he loves you. Remember the joy you felt at the time of your salvation? Just like infants and their parents, God meets your needs for the relationship and fellowship with him, and then security in him grows. Also like an infant, you are expected to grow more independent as a Christian every day. The same is true of an infant. As they grow, they become more independent and start to do more things on their own. It is, it is expected of them. This is a normal growth process. And God also expects the same of you. You must go from milk to solid foods. Soon the baby will move into the toddler stage, and this is usually when you will first encounter or notice their sin nature. Listen closely. The child is not sinning. It is just a manifestation of the characteristics of the fallen sin nature of mankind. You know it by the demonstrated selfishness, fighting with other toddlers for a toy, saying mine and refusing to share, crying because they cannot have something, and testing the limits and true meaning behind uh, your nose, you know, the N-O's. No, you can't do that. No, stop it. They will test that. It is vitally important that you do not take any of this action personally. Remember the grace and mercy God showed you when, when you were, even as a new believer, you were still trying to lead your own life except for maybe on Sundays. Remember, you are discipling them for God, not for yourself. God is continuing your growth by allowing you to raise another human. You are to teach them how to love, share, teach them humility as much as possible, grace and mercy. You may be, and, and you may be saying, come on, Joe. Those are, they're just toddlers. You can't teach them that. No, you can't, not as you understand it, but most of what you teach a toddler is done by behavior. It's an example. But never underestimate a toddler's cognitive abilities. Studies have shown that the limited expectations we put on children is what limits what they can learn. They will let you know what their limits are because they'll get disengaged, walk away. They will surprise you, though, on how much they can learn if you provide the loving input of information. It takes effort that some parents are not willing to give.
All right, two to six years old. This age period is the period in which your memory kicks in, usually around three and a half to four years of age. If you, if you think back upon what your first memory was, it usually will fall in that age range. Despite consciously recalling little from our early years, our brain was processing and storing information, though, for the subconscious and basic building blocks of one's person, personality formation and coping skills, this is perhaps the most important period of a child's life. We do not want to make the subconscious sound evil, but most of your thoughts and behaviors are regulated by the subconscious mind, and the subconscious mind is developed more for the average child during this stage than any other. It is the mechanism that God gave us to help us survive in our environment. It tells us how to walk and remember how to ride a bike or how to throw a ball and later on how to drive. It allows us to navigate our environment successfully and to learn what behaviors will and will not work in each situation. The subconscious mind is primarily a repository of stimulus response tapes derived from instincts and learned experiences. The subconscious mind is fundamentally habitual. It will play the behavioral responses to life signals repeatedly, much to our dismay sometimes. It turns out that the conscious mind, you're not your subconscious, but the conscious mind runs the show only about 5% of the time. The programs acquired by the subconscious mind shape 95% or more of our life experiences. The actions of the subconscious mind are reflexive in nature and are not governed by reason or thinking. They just happen. It's like the hot stove. You automatically learn to stay away from it. You don't think about it. The point is this. The experiences of a child, including the experiences with parents and other close relatives, help shape and develop your child's subconscious. They help us survive in the environment in which we were raised, functional or dysfunctional. doesn't matter. It will set the groundwork, the fundamental behavior patterns that your child will carry for the rest of their lives, if not consciously changed in adult years. This is why children with an abusive or traumatic upbringing will think and act differently most of the time from the general population who didn't experience abuse. You must establish godly rearing principles for them. You must be consistent and you must apply similar guidelines I gave you to I gave you in previous episodes of this series. For more in-depth teaching on the subconscious and conscious mind, listen to episode four of my podcast. There I talk about the subconscious or how the subconscious can be changed. I have changed many of my skewed thoughts and coping mechanisms. And that ability to change our reactions to our experiences, the ability to change our subconscious thinking or the programming is the basis of free will. The important time of cognitive development is also known by the enemy, Satan. And it is why certain groups want to get to the minds of preschoolers and kindergartners. Their thought and cognitive functioning is fertile ground. And they want to get to them before you can you must do the programming of your child's basic understanding and reaction to their environment. This is where exposure to godly truth, principles, and people are vitally important. Stay vigilant and active. Of course, it's easier when you and your spouse are living a godly life and they hear the words and see the behaviors coming from you both. Later, childhood, 7 to 12 years of age. 
By this time, I hope you understand that a child's mind is not like an adult's. Children reason differently than adults in wildly illogical ways sometimes, and it, it kind of makes things funny sometimes. But even from infancy, children think like little scientists. They test ideas, they make casual inferences, and learn from statistical patterns. A child's mind develops through a series of stages in an upward march from the newborn's simple reflexes to the adult's abstract reasoning power. Piaget uh, is known for his developmental theories, and he had the core idea in his research was that our intellectual progression reflects the unceasing struggle to make sense of our experiences. This is quite evident in this stage of development. They are becoming little men and women at this point, and they are becoming more aware of their sexuality and desire for friendships. By school age, children's self-concept has blossomed. It now includes their gender identity, group membership, psychological traits and similarities, and, and differences compared with other children. They come to see themselves as good and skillful in some ways, but not others. They form a concept of which traits, ideally, they would like to have. By age 8 or 10, their self-image is quite stable. Children's views of themselves affect their actions. Children who form a positive self-concept are more confident, independent, optimistic, assertive, and sociable. This time is important to to the success they will have in middle school also. Their self-concept will affect their ability to make friends at the next level. It is also hoped that they will stand fast in their convictions and beliefs that you have instilled in them. Yes, it helps if they are homeschooled or attend a Christian school, but most Christian parents don't send their kids to such private schools. In the preceding two episodes... I gave you 10 principles that will help prepare your children to stand fast in their Christianity and beliefs. Please review them. I cannot emphasize enough the importance of spending quality time with your children at this stage. Remember, it is not about you. You are discipling a future warrior for Jesus. Don't provoke your children to anger just because you have become frustrated. And by the way, if you make a mistake with your spouse or children, Demonstrate the act of repentance and of asking for forgiveness. Don't forget to forgive them when they make a mistake also. Your children need to know you are human. If you want to be used by Jesus to further his kingdom, it sometimes starts with your family. Do not be treating others better than your own children and spouse. Otherwise, you may be a hypocrite. God promotes only when you demonstrate the ability to handle what he has currently given you. you got to be able, if you choose to have a family, you need to be successful and, and learn. It's an opportunity to grow. All right, our last area, adolescence. The years spent morphing from child to adult starts with the physical beginnings of sexual maturity and ends with the social achievement of independent adult status. It's a time of diminishing parental control. It's also a time when teens crave social acceptance, but often feel socially disconnected. Three in four U.S. friendships started in seventh grade dissolve by the end of eighth grade. Such social disconnection hits adolescents hard, increasing their risk for substance abuse and depressive symptoms. But for others... Adolescence is a time of vitality without the cares of adulthood, a time of rewarding friendships, heightened idealism, and a growing sense of life's exciting possibilities. 
Everyone wants to be respected and admired. That is one reason why social media is such an attraction for adolescents. Teach them to find their meaning and self-identity in God and the Christian family. The adolescent's brain is a work in progress, and until puberty, uh, brain cells increase their connections like trees growing more roots and branches. Then during adolescence, a selective pruning of unused neurons and connections starts to happen. In other words, what we don't use, we lose. That's why it's important to expose your children before they hit adolescence and puberty to as many different things that they can, uh, what they desire, some things in music, maybe instruments, languages, and so forth. It's the best time to learn. As teens mature, their frontal lobes also continue to develop. Their continuing growth of myelin the fatty tissue that forms around axons and speeds neural transmission enables better communication with other brain regions. These developments bring improved judgment, impulse control, and long-term planning, especially toward the end of adolescence. Frontal lobe maturation, nevertheless, lags behind that of the emotional limbic system. Puberty's hormonal surge and limbic system development help explain teens' occasional impulsiveness risky behaviors and emotional storms like slamming doors or turning up the music. No wonder younger teens whose unfinished frontal lobes aren't yet fully equipped for making long-term plans and curbing impulses may succumb to the lure of smoking or vaping. Teens actually don't underestimate the risks of smoking or fast driving or unprotected sex. Teens' brains are just biased towards immediate rewards, which helps explain why teens worldwide struggle with self-control. The teenage brain is like a car with a forceful accelerator and underdeveloped brakes. They don't intentionally want to get in trouble. Sometimes they can't help it. Make sure you understand the difference and act accordingly. Giving grace helps. When adolescents achieve the intellectual summit that Piaget called formal operations, they apply their new abstract reasoning tools to the world around them. They may think about what is ideally possible and compare that with the imperfect reality of their society, their parents, and themselves. They may debate human nature, good and evil, truth and justice. Again, that is why you should review the 10 principles for raising children in my previous two episodes. It will help. Having left behind the concrete images of early childhood, they may search for spirituality and a deeper meaning of life. Reasoning hypothetically and deducing consequences also enables adolescents to detect inconsistencies and spot hypocrisy in others' reasoning. This can lead to heated family debates and silent vows never to lose sight of their own ideals. Be prepared and stay consistent. Adolescence is typically a time of diminishing parental influence and growing peer influence. It is supposed to be this way. The preschooler who can't be close enough to her mother, who loves to touch and cling to her, becomes the 14-year-old who wouldn't be caught dead holding hands with mom. Well, many times. The transition occurs gradually. Puberty alters attachments and primes perceptions. Don't fight the changes. Embrace them and adapt and grow with them. By adolescence, 
parent-child arguments often occur, usually over mundane things like household chores, bedtime, homework. I would tell you to make sure you choose your battles. Conflict during the transition to adolescence tends to be greater with firstborn than with secondborn children and greater with mothers than with fathers. With sons, issues are behavioral problems such as acting out or hygiene. For daughters, issues commonly involve relationships such as dating and friendships. Positive parenting relationships and positive peer relationships often go hand in hand. High school girls who had uh, the most affectionate relationships with their mothers tended also to enjoy the most intimate friendships with girlfriends. And teens who felt close to their parents have tended to be healthy and happy and do well in school. Fathers, set the example of how men should act toward women for your sons and how men should treat women for your daughters. Actions speak loudly. In closing, I want to repeat what I have said before. The lessons you learn being married and raising children will prepare you for any of life's challenges if done with a godly worldview and godly behavior. There is nothing new under the sun that having a godly marriage and being a successful godly parent doesn't prepare you for. The adapting to the marriage, the characteristics you learn, the changes you make in yourself to be more like Jesus, the administrative challenges, the personality conflicts, the humility it takes, the problem-solving challenges, and any other issues you must face will give you all the basic tools needed to navigate situations the outside world will give you. Pray for the Holy Spirit's leading and help in all of life's circumstances. Until next month, may God bless you and keep you in his care, and may you and your family prosper, be healthy, and bring glory to the Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's teaching. If you would like more information about our podcast and subject matter, or if you would like to leave a comment, go to GodsLoveLanguage.com. Or you may email Joe at jnlo at godslovelanguage.com. 